This episode, parts one and two, were recorded a few days before the death of Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Me, Elisa and John would like to dedicate this episode to his memory and the work that he has done for poets everywhere. You want to read the next one? I'm ready. Go for it. And it's a woman. So Is it, is it the one I sent you? Yeah. <laughs> by Emily Pauline Johnson. Um, this is called Marshlands. A thin wet sky that yellows at the rim and meets with sun-lost lip the marsh's brim. The pools low-lying, dank with moss and mold, glint through their mildews like large cups of gold. Among the wild rice in the still lagoon, the monotone, not in monotone, the lizard shrills his tune. The wild goose homing seeks a sheltering where rushes grow and oozing uh, lichens, lichens? I'm not sure. Clings. Late cranes with heavy wing and lazy flight sail up the silence with a nearing night and like a spirit swathed in some soft veil steals twilight and its shadows o'er the swale hushed light sedges and the vapors creep thick gray and humid while the marshes sleep this is very sweet I like it. And it's, uh, I don't know many words, so I'm gonna guess it's from last century, because I don't think people know these natural words anymore. Well, uh, I, I suppose I sent you the one, so I, I know a bit about it. Like, she's a very interesting woman, the woman who wrote it. She was born on a Six Nations reservation in America. Ooh. So her father was a Mohawk. And her mother was, I think, an English woman, an English lady or whatever. Um, so she had that kind of dual identity. And yeah. she kind of was born in the 19th century and lived maybe 20 or 30 years into the 20th. So that's why the language is kind of old. And yeah, but it's... Sorry, she used to tour and do gigs where she would read, she would do the first half of the show in her mohawk dress and then go off stage and come back on and do the second half of the show in a kind of a Victorian kind of formal dress, you know? Mm. So yeah. I thought that was interesting. I really appreciate the use of these words that I don't know. Um, and that um, 
I got like uh, a big book called The Last Words. You know about it, John? Because it was very popular in Ireland. I think the illustrator is Irish. Or, uh, they're like this. Sounds interesting. These huge books um, illustrated, like very, very big. I, I, I would show you if I had the camera. <laughs> but they, uh, there's a poem for uh, every word. That's a word that people don't use anymore for like uh, an animal or like a plant or flower or any natural elements. And there's two of them. One is like the lost spells or something. And the idea being, I think that these words are, natural words are so evocative. <laughs> and now we lost a bunch of them. And you know, it's like tree and flower, but it kind of makes the poetry more alive and uh, yeah, much more evocative to see, even if I don't know some words. So it's even more evocative because it's mysterious <laughs> in a way. There's a power in a word that, you know, it means something, but you're not quite sure. Yeah, but it, it gives the idea. And um, I like the lights in this poem, the cups of gold. It's really beautiful. Yeah, what I kind of liked about it is I don't like nature poetry that much because, and especially modern ones where they just kind of start listing, you know, mm. images from nature and that's meant to be a poem because nature is beautiful and it's kind of boring. <laughs> but what I like about this one is it's about a swamp, you know, it's about marshland. Yeah. And there's all these words like decay and... You know, you know, yeah. bad, bad smells and things that are supposed to be ugly, but <laughs> she she can see the beauty in it. And in the poem, she makes you see the beauty of this thing. That yeah, most people would think of as kind of ugly nature or the place you want to skip or the place you don't want to be. She she really brings it to life because it's not stereotypically beautiful, you know. So that's why yeah. I, I really liked it. You can see it through her eyes. Yeah. yeah. Through this kind of a devotion. <laughs> yeah. And she really the sees words. The, ma the magic in it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's beautiful to read new poetry on the spot. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I would rec recommend to you and Platon and anybody who's listening to this podcast, I don't know if you know about it, but how I found that poem and how I find a lot of poem is there's a website called poets.org and yeah. they have a thing called Poem A Day. And so if you enter your email, uh, poem a day, yeah. if you enter your email, they email you a poem every day. And from like, mm, I know that, yeah, a vast array of poets and poetry. So I, I get to read like all sorts of poems. I would never have heard of otherwise. And that's one of them. Yeah. I check it in the morning. I don't have the email, but I make an effort when I wake up to get my, like, like you get a cup of coffee. <laughs> yes. That's the whole idea behind the whole podcast. Yeah. <laughs> to check it in the morning. Um, I, I haven't subscribed to that. I've, I've known about it. I don't know. I just... I probably should do it. Yeah, I definitely. I, I've definitely discovered like a lot of poets, and I've ended up buying books 
by fucking boats I would never have heard of otherwise. Yeah, that's always good. Yeah, that's excellent. And also what I like about um, going to events as well, where you just go you know, without knowing anyone on the, on the, what do you call it? Like a list the roster on, on, on the roster. You don't know any of them, but you still go and then you find someone that, you know, just is amazing and like Tonga, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was, what was I going to say? I think I was going to say something that I forgot. So, John. It's my turn now. Um, your turn. I think uh, I think I send you a long one and I think Elisa sent you a short one. Yeah. Well, I don't know what Elisa sent you. I'm just guessing. Yeah, it is a short one. <laughs> so I've, I've got um, Platon's one here. It's awkward because I've opened in four different pictures so it might take me a second to move move between one and the it's uh, it's not available online so i had to send you pictures mm -hmm. i did the same i know the one yeah. that i wanted wasn't online well we'll just read it anyway take your time it is called the mute story of november living as if every moment announced a beloved and it does then the bleeding off Maybe you are the sea to me, or me to you, a reasonable enough supposition. Can't see you, I'm busy triangulating. Kinko leaves at my feet, a flood of questing yellow. They say that everything that is growing will stop growing soon, maybe, maybe this weekend. The first deep freeze of season falling will give way to the season of brittle upturned sticks. Who cares? It's all equally gorgeous and last night a lunar eclipse. Immaculate white moving in and out of a rusty red rind. I pulled a sheet of plexiglass over the hole in the roof. So so I could watch it from the inside the boat. The boat from which we ride the sky. Nothing can go wrong. Do you understand? Nothing can ever go wrong. This is what happens when you cease your management. The blue and gold of the morning just appear on the sidewalk. Ongoing drift of garbage. A tire is good to sit in. A window pane may flake in the wind. The mute story of November. I don't even have to steal your words. You give them to me for free. So strange to know that you can and cannot hurt me. My heart just can't break anymore. Now that it has changed substance, is full of fluid and fire and air and turning like a little wheel in its brush. And I can and cannot hurt you either, now that I am utterly virginal, preposterous. Preposterous as that may sound, it's also true, sometimes you get to start anew. The pages of my book wet and limpid with tea on a Sunday, the spidery plants reaching haphazardly in all directions from their dilapidated mobile. It's part of the magic here and the painted green cement floor. What part of this autonomy am I not supposed to like? I too have been much lonelier, maybe in 11 rooms. You'll find some sort of home or base. It's like this enormous surplus of feelings and our words, and we prick at the tarp. 
letting little pinwheels of light come in, but never really touching the source. So little time really, we've eaten some food, slept badly, we swam in jumbled waters. Very little coming, I don't know you, I don't even know you. Shadowed by the knowing, the knowing that has nothing to do with life stories, their wicked specificity. Sometimes my speech moves so fast inside me before it hatches. And I know I'm about to flop over into tongues, but I don't care. This is the speed at which I run and run and you run fast too, so I let you touch me with one hand while the other one sears a car through midtown Manhattan. It's almost as if none of this has ever happened. It just shines and then gets enclosed in an envelope decorated with faded blue stamps from the Belgian Congo. It's such a relief when tears come from the cold, like yesterday on River Street. All the men lined up in their idling cars by the flower plant. What are they waiting for? With all due humility, I have to say I know it now. Or it knows me, that peace feeling that stays even as the bloody, oh sorry, even as the body races and pants above or along it. When the team suddenly does a jazz square in unison, when a dream repeals an impediment overnight. when the whole world is strobing. But that's a good poem, even though I'm not sure what it was about, what it meant, but it had a great rhythm to it. Please yeah. die. I... Yeah, that's Megan Nelson. Oh. Yeah. Funny when I was what, reading uh, it, I, I, I assumed it was a man writing, I don't know why. I thought it was Anne Sexton or, uh, yeah, is that her name? Another woman. I really liked um, the beginning, especially. And then I think with long poems, there's a moment, just about other half, where it's, you lose your attention a little bit. Mm. But uh, it got it back. But the beginning was like, uh, made a big impression on me. <laughs> yeah, this uh, this feeling that you have about like I'm not sure what it is about exactly. Mm -hmm. It's uh, I think I have it with the entire collection. Um, something bright then holds, and it's. Uh, it's interesting to me. I wanted to share some uh, Maggie Nelson with you because, you know, you read it for the first time and I'm interested in kind of how you read it uh, without knowing uh, anything about her. And for me, it was interesting. I knew Maggie Nelson was a poet, but I read two books from her, like prose, one kind of a memoir thing and then Bluettes, which is sometimes des described as a series of prose poems. So I had a very different idea of what she, or, or I had a different idea of how she wrote poetry and I came into her previous collections, which were very different from what I expected. And uh, 
if you read her prose books, you get a very clear idea of what she's talking about. Even when they are in the in the language of poetry, she's very... Or maybe she just... I don't know. Maybe she... just had like different projects and this was supposed to be more... not vague, but kind of like... Abstract? Abstract and ephemeral and sorts of... Um, yeah. But then you read Bluettes and it's like very structured and it's about specific things and the themes connect very clearly and you get a collection which is about one thing, two things and uh, you are never wondering, oh, what is this book about? Whereas with her previous collections, a bit more... Yeah. Yeah, I can tell it's about a relationship because it repeats oh. lines about you can't hurt me and you can't hurt me and there's a sense of motion and traveling um, with someone presumably through life you know but it feels like it's physical motion I kind of want to read a poem again to try and see if I can absorb it or but I like reading it aloud I really like the rhythm at which it went and I liked the words as I read them. Yeah. But I was kind of like, what is she actually talking about? Because I don't, huh. you know, I don't know what the point of it is. But maybe if I read it again, or three times, yeah. I would kind of oh, yeah, start to read into it. What do you think of it, Elisa? Um, yeah, no, I completely um, understand the <laughs> needing to read it again. I often feel like that when I read something and the first reading is like to to understand how to read the words and then it's then it moves on to what is she saying but I when I read things for the first time or when I hear them for the first time I tend to get caught up in like some words that I like or some lines <laughs> that I really like and my brain kind of stops on a yeah. Stops on a line and kind of goes like, oh, that was so beautiful. And I missed the two following ones. <laughs> uh, yeah. And yeah. so it's always a bit of a... Uh, I think I like how she says things. I like her prose as well a lot. I like mm. her choice of uh, emotion. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I've been wanting to get that collection actually. <laughs> Yeah. I think this might be the time. Something bright then holds. Um, I just like how she talks. Yeah, that's always been my favorite. Kind of like that's the big draw for me as well. Just like the way she says things. Yeah. On a general level, poetry, yeah. prose, memoir, essay. It's. Yeah. And kind of like what she says comes a bit later for me. Comes from yeah the other readings. This one is Fear and the Monkey, a poem by William S. Burroughs. August 1978. Turgid itch and the perfume of death on the whimpering south wind 
a smell of abyss and of nothingness. Dark angel of the wanderers howls through the loft. With sick smelling sleep, morning dream of a lost monkey, born and muffled under old whimsies. With rose leaves in closed jars, fear and the monkey, sour taste of green fruit in the dawn, the air milky and spiced with the trade winds, white flesh was showing, his genes were so old, leg shadows by the sea, morning light on the skylight of a little shop, on the odor of cheap wine in the sailor's quarter, on the fountain sobbing in the police courtyards, on the statue of moldy stone, on the little boy whistling to stray dogs. Wanderers cling to their fading home, a lost train whistle wan and muffled, on the loft night taste of water, morning light on milky flesh, turgid edge ghost hand, sad as the death of monkeys, thy father a falling star, crystal bone into thin air, night sky, dispersal and emptiness. I think it should just uh, be worthy a mention of the fact that this is, uh, it has a lot of lines from other poems. So as it says in the introduction, I mean, maybe you'll know William Burroughs was a fan of like his cutoff technique, uh, like cutting up lines and, you know, moving them around. So this is, uh, it has some, something uh, from Denton Welch, uh, something from the Necronomicon, uh, Rambo, St. John Purse, and what Burroughs says, an oblique reference to Toby Tyler with the circus and the death of his pet monkey. So <laughs> I think you. Yeah, I think I think that came through. Is is the poem by William Burroughs? Yes. So oh, I think okay. it's. You know, it's it's got his own writing, but it, it's also deeply referencing everything else <laughs> sampling oh like it makes sense that it's William Burroughs because it's kind of so dark and hell mm. hellish in its yeah. images and themes and the smells very sensual like uh, as in smelly and uh, mm. touchy <laughs> I love that of Burroughs the consistency is that he everything is milky I've never read a, or heard a poem of his before. I didn't even know he wrote poetry. I, I, I read The Naked Lunch, mm. and it, it is a fucking sick and twisted book. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yeah, and I never read him again after that. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Enough of this, dude. Mm. Yeah. Although I, I love the beats, I, I love Kerouac and all that kind of thing. I, uh, in my master's thesis, uh, it was about Burroughs and Ginsberg, and I hadn't got into Burroughs before properly, but I think I, I really did with it. And you need to be open to like all the sick and twisted because it's most of what you get. <laughs> but, um, I don't know. I really liked it in the end. <laughs> I want to read more Burroughs because I think I like him more than any of his counterparts. Mainly because, correct me if I'm wrong, but he did more heroin than anyone else. Yeah, 
I, I, I think he did more heroin than anyone else in history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's why he's my favorite. He, he and Keith Richards are battling. <laughs> like, um, Burroughs lived into his 90s, and I don't know if yeah. he ever fully got clean. Exactly. I, th- I think he was probably on methadone for most of it, you know. Hmm. But uh, I don't think he ever fully got clean, you know. I think, hmm. yeah. He got back to heroin uh, several times, even after long periods of methadone. Um, but, yeah, you need to accept this world as it is. <laughs> um, yes. It's a kind of disturbing world, though. You know, I wouldn't really, like, romanticize it like Platon was kind of jokingly doing there. Yeah. Because... It's easy for young kids to think that, like, that's rock and roll and it's cool and it's self-destructive. But, like, if that's your actual life, it's fucking horrible. And I I think even if you read his stuff, you realize, like, his fucking mental state must have been horrific, like. You know, it must have been fucking horrible living through that, like. I am attracted to his writing because because his persona like junkie as well like his persona is like very you know that he did all this heroin but he was the most put together of the beats Mm. like he wore a suit like fucking he dressed like an aristocrat and I think he was from an aristocratic family you know yeah he has that background and also for all the drugs that he did and he lived so long mm. that's that's rock and roll well that was he, he was kind of like an insult to the to the conservative community it's like mm-hmm. this guy should have died fucking decades ago and he's still yeah, going exactly yeah uh, there was so, something cool yeah. about that yeah a lot of the beats ended up living into their 90s I mean what is Ferdinand like 101? <laughs> is he 101 now? I think so. Or 100. The last time I heard, which was a couple of years ago, he was in his mid-90s and he was still going. And I actually yeah. bought... I think... Sorry, I bought a book from uh, City Lights, his uh, bookshop in um, yeah. oh. San Fran. I bought a book from it recently and paid like a ton of extra po- postage just because mm. I wanted to buy a book from his bookstore. Because yeah. I thought... That was cool, yeah. you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have a book of his poetry and it's really good. I think he's... By the time this episode comes out, he's going to be 102 Whoa. or dead. <laughs> One of the... You won't even yeah. notice the difference. <laughs> <laughs> his, his birthday... His birthday is uh, 24th of March. So... 24th of March 2021, which is before this episode comes out, either 102 or dead. Yeah. Probably 100. I don't know how he's. I, where is he that he's like surviving all this like COVID shit? I don't know. He's in the attic of the bookstore. Yeah. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but also, um, the guy that introduced Burroughs to Herring was like. I think a bit older than Burroughs, and that came up with the idea of the beat, technically, the term oh, yeah. Herbert Hunk also lived into his 80s, and he did, like, never stops. But 
I don't know what people were made of. Mm. But it's a hard life, though, you know. You see yeah, junkies on the streets. <laughs> um, I'm gonna read my poem. Yes. Yes. So we keep the circle going. So I have a poem called the, Vo- uh, the Vulture by Jill Scott Heron. Gil. Gil Scott. Gil. Oh, okay. Gil Scott Heron. Yes. He's one of. He's like a hero of mine. So. <laughs> so you have read the poem. There you go. <laughs> I don't know if I read this poem, but I I know his name. You know. I, I will talk about him afterwards. Maybe just. Yeah. Um, This is called The Vulture, and a lot of people think it's a poem. And after they hear me sing it, they sure it's a poem. But we gon' take a shot at it anyway. Remember, this is a feel-like thing. Do whatever you feel like. If you feel like clapping your hands, you can do that. Standing in the ruins of another black man's life, or flying through the valley, they're separating day and night. I am death, cried the vulture, for the people of the light. Charon brought this draft and came from the sea that sails on souls and saw the scavenger departing, taking warm hearts to the cold. He knew the ghetto was the heaven for the meanest creature ever known. In a wilderness of heartbreak and the desert of despair, Evil's carrion of justice shrieks a cry of naked terror. He's taking babies from their mamas and leaving grief beyond compare. You see the vulture coming, his flying circles in your mind. There will be no escaping, for he will follow close behind. Only promised me a battle, battle for your soul and mine, your soul and mine. He's taking babies from their mamas and he's leaving, leaving. Leaving, leaving, leaving. Just to clarify that the one I sent you uh, is is uh, from is like a, a transcript from a live recording. His yeah. first uh, his first album, Small Talk at 125th and Lennox, so up in Harlem. Uh, and the Vulture is a poem that appeared in his as an introduction to his book, his novel, The Vulture. And so the, the beginning where he says this is called the vulture and you know clap your hands or whatever that's just his introduction to the song in the recording or the poem okay yeah I was wondering when I was hearing it I, I figured very musical sounds like it just to talk about the poem I think it's a very sad poem and I think it must it definitely references the, ra- the raven being, being about death and uh, yeah. like Edgar Allan Poe and uh, the vulture is a symbol of death but I guess the vulture is even scarier and it's about the ghetto and maybe now death is even more prevalent and more frightening in the ghetto where you know you've nothing protecting you and there's no services and you know it's talking about children dying all the time yeah just kind of very sad, you know. And the fear, I think, he says something about the vulture in your mind. So the, at least I thought the the feeling of anticipating, like disasters. <laughs> yeah, and that sense, I suppose, maybe that in the ghetto, 
the debt is hanging over you all the time and yeah. is could strike at any moment is just waiting for you to show a bit of weakness or to make a mistake and it's going to soup fucking down and yeah. know, feed on you but I love Gil Scott Heron you know he he uh, started out in the 70s and he's really famous for uh, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised mm. that's, yeah. his, yes. that's his most famous one and he's I think the first one I'd heard properly I can still remember hearing it my dad's a vet or was a vet and we would go testing cattle out in the Dingle Peninsula and he was he would sometimes do calls between it I would just like take the numbers down and stuff and I was listening to the radio and um, in this farmyard in Dingle and Kerry on a beautiful sunny day and message the messengers came on which is, I think, from the 90s, and it's him writing a rap tune to all the rap stars at the time, and, like, gangster rap was really big at the time, and he's kind of sending a message to them from, like, this elder, this one, one of the guys that kind of invented the genre or inspired the genre more, more, more accurately, I guess. And it was just the flow of the words was so beautiful, and his voice is so deep and rich, like a lot of black American voices are, and it just carried me away, and it was really uh, gorgeous. So if you can check out Message to the Messengers, it's a fucking great. Yeah, I am actually opening Google as you talk, because I'm like, hmm, I want to hear this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. YouTube would be the place, because you want to hear him say yes. it rather than read yeah. it, you know? Yeah. With Gil Scott Heron, you want to go on Spotify, YouTube, get a CD, whatever. Just you have to listen to him perform them. He's amazing. Yeah. And I would like to say a very interesting little known fact about Gil Scott Heron is his father was the first black player to ever play for Celtic. Can you believe that? Oh, that's what? I swear Seriously? to God, they used to call him the Black Arrow. It was back in the fifties or sixties or something. Wow. Well, I, I only found out a few years ago. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. That. Wow. Okay. Mind blown. <laughs> it's that's something that you like. You said oh, a little, a little known fact about Gil Scott Heron. That's the last thing you would expect to hear. You would never. Yeah. You would never fucking like. How does that happen? I don't even. The know. most random. I think maybe his father was in the army or something and ended up over there and was a good soccer player and... Oh, I guess that's, uh, yeah. Played as a winger for Celtic for a few years. I, I know that uh, a lot of uh, African-Americans who served in uh, World War II didn't want to, like, if they were in the European uh, front, didn't they, would, they didn't want to go back to the US because their life... You know, fighting in World War II in Europe was a better life for them than being in peacetime in, in America. That's how bad it was. I think it might have been a story like that is, is how he ended up over there. I think it was something yeah. like that. Will I read nice. the poem that uh, Elisa sent to me? Yeah. Right. It's nice and short anyway. Robert Creeley, the dishonest mailman. They are taking all my letters and they put them into a fire. I see the flames, etc. But do not care, etc. They burn everything I have, or what little I have. I don't care, etc. The poem supreme addressed to emptiness. This is the courage necessary. This is something quite different. 
This is another meta poem. Oh, no, that was very short. <laughs> mm. I don't know if I sent it to you, Platon, as well, when I read it, but I've been... I don't I know. I don't think so. This poem has been in the background of my psyche oh. since I read it first. <laughs> and I've been trying to see oh, if other nice, people like though. it as well or if it's me. <laughs> I don't know how much I like it yet, but I do like how he writes, <laughs> uses etc. repeatedly. Yeah. It's funny, kind of. Nothing gets across that you don't care than using etc. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So I yeah. don't care, I don't care, etc., etc. I took it as some humor. I mean, I... Mm. A kind of a Buddhist humor of, you know... Um, Impermanence or something? Yeah. Hmm. It's definitely interesting, it's kind of a... Because it's kind of provocative, isn't it? It's almost like a fuck you to... to... to letters, but also to daily life and to all the... the shit you have to deal with in the world. It's kind of saying, this shit doesn't matter. But then it kind of goes, I guess, I guess the bit I'm not so sure I like about it is like, but my poetry really matters. That's important. And that kind of puts me off a bit. It's like, yeah, is it though? I don't know. Or is it in general? The, yeah, yeah. Is poetry that there? important? You know, poets think it's important, but I, I, yeah, is it really? I don't know. Yeah, but wait, what were the words like the poem? Addressed to something. I got it, forgot. The poem supreme addressed to emptiness. This is the courage necessary. This is something quite different. It could be, I mean, he's probably referencing himself, but it could also be in, in general, like the some kind of spirituality or some kind of, I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's different. kind of de- defiant as well. I suppose I can, I can like the defiance. It's just, it just seems a bit egotistical too, and that kind of puts me <laughs> off a bit, you know. I personally don't mind that. <laughs> I know, yeah. I'm, I'm fine with that. But it's not truly Buddhist if it's fucking egotistical, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or truly spiritual at all. Unless you're... Sorry. It's interesting because it is provoking me in different ways, you know? It's like getting jabbed with a, uh-huh. a stick or something. I'd say that's good. Yeah. yeah, I think so, yeah. I'll have to make up my mind. I haven't made up my mind if I like it or not. Cause it's kind <laughs> of... so you, can, you can read it again. Uh, and again, and uh, you kind of uh, make, up your own, make up your mind whenever you feel like it. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, yeah, I, I guess I like that it's provoked me so much. So I think that's kind of, mm. there's a power in that, for sure. Yes. Yes. John, you want to read us? Some yeah. of your own poetry. I, well, I, I think I'll just read one that's kind of, well, I, I can read as many as you like, but my favorite of my newer ones, and I sent it to you, okay, Platon, I think, uh, a month or two ago. It is a kind of meta poem again, a poem about poetry in a way, and it's called The Rock and the Stars. The stars sit in the sky, blinking, indifferent, far away, too far to hit with a rock. Too far to ever reach, really. So why should I care? They insist on being inspiring. Maybe if I could almost hit them with a rock. Or we discovered warp speed or a war mode soon, like in the movies. 
What the fuck do you want from me, stars? A poem, maybe? But I feel like you've had enough poems. So what else are you good for? Ah, uh, the impossible. Always tempting me to reach for a rock or build a spaceship to look for a wormhole. Fool that I am. Beautiful. I remember you sending me this. Mm. Uh, we, we talked about writing po poetry about stars. It was kind of inspired by a, an amazing poem by Paul Celan that actually I read in the poem of a day uh, email and I was fucking blown away and I ordered a book of his and it, the, the poem is called So Many Constellations and it's about a poet that's look he's very like he, he, the way he writes poetry is very obscure so like my poem is nothing like his but uh, about him looking at the stars and I think a spirit comes down from the stars and then spirit moves between him and the person that's next to him now, I'm not even sure if that's what the poem is about because it's written in this really abstract, strange kind of language. But mm. it was there was something very inspiring, kind of almost mystical about it. And then I, I was kind of walking or something, and I was thinking, well, maybe I could write a poem about stars and looking at the stars. And I kind of started, and then I got kind of pissed off. That like, why are fucking poets always writing fucking poems about fucking stars and looking at them and how fucking inspiring they are and oh we should all do you know it's annoying and it's yeah. the way my dreams are also kind of annoying as in I, I kind of spent my whole fucking life chasing these big dreams and they never really came true and like why the fuck am I doing it so it kind of like a satire on poetry and the images of poetry that are meant to be really inspiring and at the same time, I don't know if they're much use, or are they? Maybe they are. I'm not sure. I'm ambivalent. <laughs> well, you wrote a like poem it. about it, so yeah. that uh, you know whether you want it or not. <laughs> no, but uh, the thing is, I really loved that poem. Then you know, I was like, oh fuck, mm -hmm. you know, because yeah. it's it's just kind of different and it's very unique to like how I see things and to me. As a poet, you know, I tried yeah. to write a poem about a stock image of poetry, and then I wrote <laughs> a very kind of unique to me kind of poem that was taking the piss out of that. So then I really liked the poem, so I guess it was worth it. I really liked the the push of like um, wanting to throw a rock to the start, like needing some like uh, some crash, some concreteness. It reminded me of uh, the poem that Platon read that you sent him, you know, of the the crash, the ambulance, what ends up uh, being poetry or where you end up finding poetry, that kind of like realness and uh, uh, concreteness, uh, physicality of rock. <laughs> yeah, trying to <laughs> physically uh, reach the stars. Yeah, Which is thank you for sharing. Ah, well, thank you for listening to that. Yes. That's really nice. Talking about the stars, it's also what we said earlier about poetry should be this and that, and then you end up writing about other things. Or you end up writing about some old themes, but in a new way, which is also... If it's directly into that, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But when you first sent this to me, I, I told you, you know, I, I like I like the the 
stars theme and the space. Like, especially lately, I've been a lot into like the space thematics and sh uh, warp speed and all of that. Mm. That's really kind of like I, I like those poems and. You have to subvert the theme of stars, otherwise... Otherwise it's just another fucking boring, boring poem about yeah. how inspiring stars are. I, I, like, I like your poem. Uh, if you want to read another one, you're very welcome. Let me, let me look. I can read, like, my latest poem. Well, I, I can read if lots of poems. you want to read that, no, please do. I, I haven't shown this or read it to anyone. Yes. Ooh. And I also haven't really reread it since I wrote it, so... Oh, even fits the theme of our podcast. Yeah, yeah. And it's, <laughs> that means like I'm not totally sure if it's good, but I have a feeling that it's kind of good, so... Anyway, it's called Let's do it. The Second Coming of Cam. I am waiting for the rebirth of Cam to spread across the sky like the sigh after an orgasm. The world will chill. Or maybe it could just be in my mind. Me first, God, I'll be your guinea pig if you want one. I've been doing my breaths, doing my breathing. I've been practicing. I'm ready. The whole world needs to chill the fuck out. Sorry, that was a bit angry. I'll keep practicing. Toxic is a word we should scrub from the dictionary for a few years. But seeing as we haven't, I'll use it. It's, so, it's just so damn useful these days. It's about to become a cliche. We're all toxic these days. It's all toxic these days. I am waiting for the rebirth of Cam to spread across the sky like the sigh after an orgasm to wash it all away. Nice. What do you think? You're its first audience. Online exclusive. I like it. I liked it as well. The, um, yeah. I didn't catch the word, the rebirth of? Cam. Cam. Uh, how do you spell it? C-A-L-M Oh, Cam. Yeah, oh, no, maybe. Cam. It's my curry accent, maybe. <laughs> yeah, Cam. Oh, Cam. Yeah, no, I... Uh, that thigh image was gorgeous. Um, but also what you said before. Though uh, my brain catches the nice images as well. Yeah, I like the colloquiality. It's... Uh, it does remind me, but that may be my Ginsberg bias of, um, you know, some poems in which someone is talking and is very self-consciously talking. So, you know, uh, commenting on what he says. And uh, I like that self-consciousness. I think I also do it if I, when I write um, sometimes. It's, uh, I don't know, it's very relatable and gives it some humor and some, uh, some kick. Do you understand what I mean, John? I'm just thinking and I'm trying to, um, because it's kind of a new point to me, I only wrote it a few days ago. So I'm like mm. thinking back which parts are really self-conscious. And then I think, well, when I kind of say, um, sorry, that was That's, a bit angry. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of commenting on the tone of my own poem. So is that what you mean? Yes. And I think maybe there was another occurrence, but also the fact that maybe more largely that it sounds like you're talking, you know what I mean? It's very uh, real in that sense, that kind of like a... Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I like it. The expression of expression. <laughs> I think it came after um, 
I was just listening to a Tongo Ice and Martin performance, and he's got a great style and delivery. Me and Platner are into him. I don't know if you've heard him, Elisa. I haven't. But he's an amazing delivery, and uh, he's really kind of San Francisco street poet. And mm-hmm. it was just it that his voice and the way he writes poems and delivers poems, it's like he's chatting to you on a street corner. That kind of style was in my mind. So I died. Yeah. I think that um, influenced how I wrote that poem then. It was that kind of, I'm talking directly to someone, you know. Yeah. I like that kind of direct approach, kind of uh, setting that tone for the conversational aspect of it, mm-hmm. just saying things in the poetry. And again, it's something that has been more and more uh, common and in the forefront of modern uh, contemporary poetry. Just just saying things that you notice, that's pretty much, uh, you don't need to adopt a higher register or, you know, you're, you've not come from the mountain with yeah. uh, plaques of stone or whatever. And you, you're not necessarily hiding what you want to see behind beautiful imagery or, you know, arcane language or, you know, you're just kind of seeing it directly. So you kind of hopefully correct, connect or create a connection kind of instantly to whoever's reading it or hearing it. It's like a direct, a direct communication from you to them. So there's a power in that, I guess. Yeah. So, um, you have read more of your poems, I guess, on your podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, sorry. I have a podcast too called Sober Culture. Uh, yeah. That's an arts co- podcast, so like some of its TV film reviews but a few of them are uh, poetry episodes where me and a couple of local Cork poets sit around reading our poems and talking about them to each other and drinking beer and it's just kind of conversational fun so there's two of those and there's also two hip-hop ones with local kind of hip-hop artists which are kind of the same thing just like you know I feel like it's the same sort of uh, register. So if someone likes this podcast, they'd probably like my podcast. So it's called Sober Culture, S-U-B-E-R Culture. So some people might check it out. Yes, check it out. Thank you for waking up with us this morning and reading your poetry particularly. It's very nice. Thanks. I I really enjoyed reading the poetry you sent to me because it's always kind of awesome discovering new poems that are good, you know. You have to kind of wade through a lot of poems that you don't really connect to, but I think I did connect to all the ones he sent me, so. Like if it's chosen That's by good. somebody you know, and it's one of their favorites, then it's likely yeah. to be like a really good poem. And that's all. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or do you like it because you know the person and you think about how they read it? I always have that. But, um, yeah. But you know what I found very interesting as well is the poem I sent to Platon for Poetry is a Sickness. Like, I just read that, uh, I've read it a few times, and it's just the voice in my mind reads it in a very different way to the way Platon read it aloud, you know. So mm-hmm. Platon kind of read it in a kind of an angry kind of tone. And it was like... Oh, really? <laughs> well, like, not raging, but like there was... There was a kind of an anger there or that you brought out in it when you were reading. 
Mm. And I was like, I, I never actually noticed the anger in this. So it made me see the poem in a new way because I kind of read it in more of a sardonic kind of tone, you know? Yeah. Kind of humorous and kind of dismissive rather than angry and frustrated. But I think, yeah, I think it's all things good, are there. like aspect of the podcast where you, you hear, you know, like the format itself, me and Elisa send each other poems that, you know, I like a poem, I send it to her, she reads it. And then she reads it in a way that I haven't read it. And I read one of her uh, favorite poems in a way that she hasn't read it. And it's a very interesting way to kind of re-experience a poem that you already know. And uh, it's one of the my favorite things here. I, I got... I got, uh, I got, there's a new book in the UK, uh, a new collection of Tom Wise and Martin's poetry, okay. talk, speaking of him, and you mentioned his performance, his, his, his delivery of his poems is absolutely amazing. It's fucking amazing. And I got yeah. this, I, I got this book and I opened it to a poem that I already knew of him. And I, I tried to read him as Tongo, just mm-hmm. then as an experiment for me, like, can I read, because he's fast, is like, Im- just, I couldn't do it. I, I cannot do it that, that way. It's can, can I ask, incredible. were you trying to read it as Tongo in your mind or out loud? Out loud. Oh, out loud. okay. Because I feel like if I was reading it silently, I'd probably hear it in his voice, do you know, because I know his voice, oh. do you know? Mm. No, that, that definitely happens because I've heard him um, perform all, all these poems. Uh, but then I was trying to recreate that and it's I can't do it mm. he's so he's very fast and kind of loose and kind of casual but powerful delivery is yeah mm. it's one of the best deliveries I've heard of somebody reading their own poems aloud it's, it's just fucking oh absolutely and Elisa was saying earlier where she 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 hears a poem and she latches on to a line that she really likes misses the next two with Tongo that happens over and over again because he's so fast and you have to you miss the next 20 you miss a lot <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah and he's also kind of coming at you from all sorts of different angles like every line is kind of coming at you from a different angle so you might not be able to pin down exactly what he's saying half the time or what it it's about but the delivery is, is kind of so spellbinding and you just like the poem I originally sent you, I think I listened to it three times, and then a friend of mine called, who's not into poetry, and I said, "Listen, you have to, you have to listen to this." And then he listened to it, and he was like, "It's brilliant," but I don't know what he's talking about. And I was like, "I've listened to it four times. I don't know why I remember. It's fucking amazing." <laughs> yeah, and he he is now poet laureate of San Francisco. Mm. I don't remember the last time I was so excited about a contemporary poet. That's that's what it is. He's so fresh and exciting. Yeah. But yeah, let's uh, let's end it here. Thank you for, so much for being with us, reading your poetry, reading the poetry we sent you, and sharing some of your uh, favorite poems. Thanks, Platon. Thanks, yeah. Elisa. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Thank you, John.